Good morning. My name is Sam Eldersveld. I am the student ministries pastor here at Fifth. Uh, my friend Craig Abbott will be reading scripture for us in just a moment. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I am thankful to be here with you all in this space. That we, we get to worship the Lord together. Thank you for joining us online. And the sun is shining today. I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back. It's been a long winter, right? Uh, we can be excited about the sunshine today. Uh, we will be continuing on, continuing in this series, talking about John, the Gospel of John. We are talking about John 9, 1 through 12. We know that John is a disciple of Jesus. We know that John has walked with Christ, has seen him, has heard his teachings, has witnessed his miracles. And he's also very kind because he tells us why he wrote what he wrote. In John 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I'm somebody who likes to simplify things. If I need to say something, I get straight to the point. John wrote on 21 chapters about the life of Jesus. Sometimes I think, why do we need 21 chapters? Can't John just tell us, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I walked with him. I heard him. He is unbelievable. He is clearly divine and the Messiah. But yet that's not what we have. We have 21 chapters. And with each chapter, we step into the life of Christ more and more. With every event and interaction that we hear and see from Jesus, we see the heart of God more clearly. Through every prophecy, miracle, interaction, rebuke, conversation, the name of Jesus is lifted higher and higher until we get to the point where we declare that Jesus is the Messiah. These stories also aren't just feel-good stories about Jesus doing some pretty cool things. These stories aren't written just to make us feel good about ourselves and, and teach us how to live a moral life. These are actual historical events and our beliefs, about, our beliefs about these events literally change us into new and better people, change us into being more like Christ. These are the very words of God. So let the Spirit of God refresh your spirit this morning and breathe life into you. Let's be blessed by hearing about an actual event that includes Jesus, our Messiah. Before that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the sunshine that we are able to study your word, that you were able to teach us, correct us, encourage us in our walk with you. We pray that this time is your time, that we would be listening to what you are saying to us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Listen to these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told the man, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our passage starts with the phrase, as he went along, signifying that Jesus is coming from somewhere. So where is Jesus coming from? In John 8:58, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. Jesus is coming from the temple grounds. So as he went along, he encounters this blind man just coming from the temple grounds. And in this conversation with the Pharisees, right before he meets this blind man, this blind man, it's very intense. He's having a conversation with the religious leaders at the time, and the reason why it is intense is because he calls out who they are believing in. He says, you're not believing in the Father, you're believing in the devil himself. That leads to a lot of anger from the religious elite at the time. And Jesus also makes a statement in John 8:58 that is earth-shattering, ground-shaking, especially to his audience. Jesus makes a claim that he is divine. Here's what he says: "Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am the name that God gives himself throughout the whole Old Testament. This was one of the many ways that Jesus declared that he is the Messiah without actually saying the words, I am the Messiah. Jesus calls himself that name. He's also saying that he's greater than Abraham, who is the leader of the Jewish people, the patriarch of that community. And now we come to the story of Jesus encountering this blind man. Jesus makes another claim that he's the Messiah without actually saying those words, And the claim that he uses is through word and action that is deeply intertwined with the Jewish culture at the time. Jesus was part of a culture, and he used traditions and phrases within that culture to make himself known to the people around him, especially the Jews. The disciples ask him a question, and they ask the question to the one that can answer them. He can answer any question, but their question is off mark. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus immediately rebukes them 
and says that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, it was a common belief in the first century at this time that a person who was physically disabled was that way because of the sin of their parents, somebody in their family. Because of that, this blind man was not welcome within the larger Jewish society. He was not invited into the temple to worship with his people. And he was left to fend for himself. He was in isolation. He had to beg for food and for money. That was his situation before he encountered Jesus. So Jesus rebukes his disciples' beliefs that were wrong, and then he does something interesting and miraculous at the same time. He performs a miracle, but not in the way that we would expect. The miracle doesn't take place where Jesus is with his disciples and this blind man. He tells the blind man to go to a place, to go somewhere else, and at that place is where the miracle happens. Jesus... He spits on the ground, puts mud on his hands. He puts mud on this man's eyes and he tells him to go to a place. This blind man who can't see what's in front of him, he tells him to go travel. And this place is not close to where they could have been outside the temple grounds. Jesus sends this man to Siloam. Not because he needs anything else to perform miracles. He doesn't need any outside sources to have any healing powers to declare that he is the Messiah. But there's something about this pool of Siloam that's deeply intertwined with the Jewish people, the Jewish faith. If you're familiar with the book of John, you know that Jesus has the power to heal instantly. In John 5, just a few chapters ago that we studied a few weeks back, he heals the the lame man just by touching him. He's healed instantly, in a moment. Yet in this situation, he's telling this blind man to go somewhere else where the miracle happens. So this is a picture of the ancient city of Jerusalem. In the blue box there is where the pool of Siloam was. The big temple is towards the top of the picture. And so that is most likely where Jesus was towards the top of the picture, leaving the temple grounds where he encounters the blind man. So he's telling the blind man to walk down this hill, walk a decent ways when he can't see, when he's got mud on his eyes. But this is not the closest pool if Jesus was just outside the temple grounds. Jesus told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, but yet there's another pool that was found earlier in John that is closer. I want to show you a different picture. This is more of an up-top view looking down to where the temple is. So the pool of Bethesda is towards the top of the screen, Uh, the pool of Siloam is going to be towards the bottom where we just saw it in the previous picture. Bethesda is clearly close to the temple. Some of you may know this story where Jesus heals the lame man who was lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. One of the reasons uh, that this lame man was thought to be hanging out by this pool is there was a thought that there were healing powers at this pool, that people could go into this pool and be healed of whatever they needed healing for At certain points throughout the day, there'd be bubbles that come forth. They go to the surface of this pool, and people who are sitting by the pool would jump in in hopes that their bodies would be healed. This pool of Bethesda was also honoring pagan gods, gods that were not our god, false idols. And this lame man was only healed when Jesus Christ himself showed up. 
So back to our story, Jesus sends the blind man to, uh, he sends the blind man to Siloam. So what was significant about Siloam? This wasn't just a random body of water that he's sending him to. This pool had a deep cultural significance to the Jewish people. So we know from the text that Siloam means sent. The pool of the one who is sent. This pool represented the one that God would send to his people, Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. The pool of Siloam was made thousands of years prior under the reign of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah built a passageway underneath the wall of Jerusalem and there was a creek nearby that would feed water into this pool. So the pool of Siloam was the only source of living water in the whole ancient city of Jerusalem. And some of you may know this, during the Feast of Tabernacles, water from this pool would be filled into a bucket the great high priest would walk back up the hill to the temple and he would pour out this water onto the altar, which was a symbol of God pouring out his spirit on the people around them. And it was also a symbol of hope that one day God would send somebody, send the Messiah, a living human being that would embody this spirit in a permanent way here on earth. Not just in a temporary way like he did uh, with, with the tabernacle with the Israelites back before the time of Christ. Jesus told the blind man to go to that pool. Jesus told the blind man to go to his pool. And the man was healed. He did exactly what he was told to go and wash, and he was healed. And in this action, Jesus is taking away any so-called power that the other pool had, the pool of Bethesda, that's dedicated to a pagan God. And he's also declaring that he is the one that the Jews are waiting for. He is the Messiah that they're waiting for. And not only does Jesus heal this man physically, but he heals his social status. Immediately, he's not thought of as a representation of sin any longer. He's now considered to be equal with other people. Jesus, he changes this man's life forever. He can see for the first time through washing in the pool of Siloam. And also through this miracle, Jesus is making a claim. He is putting a stake in the ground and declaring to the Jewish people, the people around him, that he is the Messiah. And the way that Jesus declares he is the Messiah is so deeply ingrained within their culture that what Jesus is doing in front of them cannot be ignored at all. Jesus uses a tradition of the Feast of Tabernacles to make several significant claims that he is the one sent by God, that he is the Messiah. At a time when Jewish people would be glued into what's going on in front of them through the annual tradition of the Feast of Tabernacles and hearing whispers that the Messiah is here, Jesus makes himself known in a way that they cannot ignore. Jesus' actions and words meant so much more at this time because Jewish people were ready for God to say and speak something into their lives. You know those times in your life where you have an experience, whether it's a really great experience or a bad experience, and somebody next to you, somebody close to you, 
does something or says something that just breathes life into you, that gives you encouragement. Their words and actions matter more in that moment because of the situation you're in. Some of you know part of my story. So I, when I was 18 years old, I rededicated my life to Christ through my time in school, through my time in college. And two or three years after that time, I was really trying to figure out this life of faith. I was really involved in campus ministries. I was getting to know the college chaplains. I was starting to mentor high school students. I worked at a summer camp. I was really, really excited about faith and especially encouraging younger people. I had so much joy in that area of my life and I also had people say, hey, have you ever thought of full-time ministry? And the first conversations, I would kind of laugh that off because that was not something I was considering at all. And, and in the meantime, I'm also studying engineering. And my, my brain could handle the math and physics, but I never quite pictured myself as an engineer. Um, that's, that's a beautiful job, a beautiful area of work, but this is not a, a place where I ever saw myself. And so I was uncertain for a few years in college. And of course, at that time, a college chaplain asked me to share my faith story in front of about a thousand people. Uh, For the first time, this was the first time that I'd be speaking in front of a great crowd. And I have to talk about how I'm uncertain about what I'm going to do in the future, but also declare God's faithfulness in my life. So I had this experience my senior year, second semester, I was able to share a senior witness, which was a a witness to the work of Christ uh, in my life uh, at at school and even prior to school. And I I laid all my cards on the table. I I wore my heart on the sleeve. I was on my sleeve. I was in a vulnerable moment. I shared my faith story in front of a lot of people. I remember my legs were shaking like crazy during that time. Uh, And overall, I think people got the picture. I think people understood what I was trying to say. And it, it was a vulnerable experience. And I remember uh, giving hugs and, and handshakes to my friends, but also my parents were there. And it was middle of the week. They didn't have to be there. They were working, but they, they showed up. And I remember their words saying, we are proud of you. And... Uh, they have, they've said that to me about 800 times. Um, <laughs> but at, at this time, those words mattered more. And uh, the weight of their statement uh, made a deep impact on my life. And looking back, I feel like that was God saying, continue going on the, on the path you're on. I've got your back. Uh, it was encouraging to me that... Um, I could possibly do this life of ministry. And at that time, I, I didn't know what that was going to look like, but God used those words and that action to give me hope, to breathe life into me. Jesus, he uses situations like that in our lives, times when we are hungering and thirsting for his presence, for his voice to speak to us and give us exactly what we need at the perfect time when Jewish people were leaning into the story of what God had done for their ancestors and at a time when they're hoping for Jesus to send, the, for God to send the Messiah, Jesus, Jesus made his voice known to people that were greatly anticipating it. 
a couple passages prior to the one that we read this morning in John 7 during the last and greatest day of the festival. Uh, the festival of the tabernacles, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through them. In our passage this morning, right after the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jewish people still have living water on their minds, Jesus tells the blind man to go and wash in the pool, the only source of living water in the whole city of Jerusalem. John has written this gospel so that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus tells us that he is the Messiah, not just through his words, but through his actions as well. He uses customs and traditions within the Jewish culture to make himself known to the people around him, to make it clear that he is the one that God has sent. At a time when Jewish people's awareness was heightened through participating in the yearly annual tradition of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus spoke clearly. So what do we do with this story? A lot of us walk through these doors already declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. It's no secret that we worship Jesus here every single Sunday and every other day throughout the week. But how often do we interact with Jesus on a daily basis? Do we depend on our interaction with Jesus just to be on Sunday mornings? How often do we hear and recognize his voice like the blind man in this story. Right now, we're in a season called Lent, which is a yearly rhythm within this church that reminds us of what God has done through Jesus and prepares our hearts to be ready to mourn his death on Good Friday and to celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. We don't participate in the season of Lent because we have to, but because we get to. Sometimes we need to wake up, and Lent is a way for us to wake up, remember who we are, and remember how much God loves us. So how are you living into this season of Lent? How are you preparing your hearts so that God can speak to you? There's a temptation to have this season of Lent look like every other season in our lives. But there's a strong chance that we will not be blessed by the story of Jesus Christ if we don't enter into it again. The story where God sends his son Jesus into this world to save us from our sins, die for us on the cross, and he's resurrected on the third day. God is speaking to you and me, and maybe he's telling you to go and wash, that you're forgiven of your sins that you don't have to enter into this sin and feel shame and guilt. You are washed, you're cleansed, now go and be different. Maybe he's telling you to actually take time throughout your day to give him an opportunity to speak, to breathe life into you. If the Lord spoke to you today, and if the Lord said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, would you be able to recognize his voice? Let's lean into the season of Lent, remember what God has done, and prepare our hearts to enter into this story of God again. This is a season right now where the Lord can speak clearly to us. Let's be like the blind man who recognized the voice of God 
and responded accordingly. The blind man heard Jesus say, go and wash, and he did just that. God is in our midst and is ready to show us that he is the Messiah, but are we listening to his commands? We are about to celebrate the most important three days in human history that represents Christ's death and his resurrection. Now is the time to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit, to be listening and responding so that the world may know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people. We love you. We hope that this word um, can be on our hearts today and the rest of this week. Would you allow for us to listen to you, to be your light in this world, to say yes to your commands? We thank you for this day and for these people around us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.